the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I got your back, Jesus. Jesus just shook his head and you know the rest of the story. Three times Peter denied him. He couldn't even stand up to a little girl who said he was with Jesus. And yet God restored Peter. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to 1 Peter. It's near the end of the book. 1 Peter, for the next several weeks, the next five weeks, we'll be journeying through this book together. It will be a view from 30,000 feet because we could spend five weeks or more just in this first chapter. But we want to cover these five chapters as we prepare for Easter. And as we do that today, I want you to ask a simple question. What am I trusting God for that only He can do. What is there in your life that is a need, perhaps even a desire? The Bible says in Psalms 37 that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. What is there in your life that you're crying out to God for, but you recognize you don't have the ability, you don't have the power, you don't have the wherewithal in and of yourself to accomplish this? It's going to take God. You see, I I think we don't do that very much. Even those of us who are Christ followers, even those of us who claim to believe the book, we don't live with that kind of expectant faith. And I would suggest to you that here's why. We get our eyes off of our glorious Savior and we get our focus on our gory situation. We focus on the things of this world. And boy, when you do that, it just doesn't take long to get discouraged, does it? We have difficulties in our marriages. We have difficulties at our workplace. We have difficulties with our finances. We have difficulties in our educational process. We have difficulties relationally. Everywhere we turn, we have difficulties. You're homeowners. If you're blessed to be a homeowner, after a while, you realize you constantly have difficulties. You're just adding to, to the challenges that you face. And, and so... It doesn't take much if you focus on the situation to become discouraged, to get your eyes off of the Savior, and you stop living expectantly. That's why this little book, the book of 1 Peter, is so important because it has this theme of an expectant hope. Now, it's written by Peter, and everybody can relate to Peter because we all know what it's like to put our foot in our mouth or to have high hopes and then just to disappoint not only those you love, but to disappoint yourself, to drop the ball. You see, this is a book that reminds us that God takes our mess-ups and turns it into miracles. He takes ordinary people 
And he does extraordinary things when we submit ourselves to his best and his glory. Everybody can relate to the truth that's found in 1 Peter. There are three themes that you find in every chapter. You have this idea of hope. And it's not like a, a, a desirous hope that you're uncertain about. It's not like I hope I get a particular birthday present. By the way, March 22nd, just a few days from now, I'll be celebrating another birthday. But it's not just that kind of hope. It's not like I, I hope I can pay the bills at the end of the month. It's not like I hope I have a good lunch. It's not what I'm hoping for far, but I'm uncertain of. It's a confident hope. That's one theme. And then constantly throughout in every chapter, you have this theme of suffering. There's the, 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 the reality of trials and tests and difficulties. And, and isn't that interesting? So you've got this confident hope in the midst of trials and suffering and difficulty. And, and then you have this challenge to just be sober. Now, that's a good idea for Sunday morning anyway, isn't it? Uh, to be sober, but to be clear-minded, to, to think in the way that God would have us to think. The Bible calls it having the mind of Christ. And you find that in every chapter, but we're beginning today in chapter 1. Listen to the word of the Lord beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. This week I'm reading from the New Living Translation, just to help it be a little more understandable for you. It says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father, listen to this, he knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So may God give you more and more grace and peace. I love the fact that here in the very beginning, we see that Peter has reached a place in life where he knows who he belongs to. He knows where his identity is. This is so important because today I think most of us live seeking to be somebody, seeking to impress somebody, seeking to have value in the eyes of other people. That was not Peter because he knew who he belonged to. He was an apostle, one called out by Jesus Christ. But I not only see that, I see that he's writing to those who belong to Jesus. And he calls them something interesting, something we could relate to in our modern day. He calls them foreigners, or you could say they're refugees. In other words, they're living in a place that is not their homeland. They're exiled. They're different. And yet they belong to Jesus. It's interesting to me that here in this very first few verses in the introduction, Peter points out the work of the Trinity. Did you notice what he said? He said, you're here as a result of God the Father who knew you and chose you, the Spirit who made you holy, and the blood of Jesus Christ which cleansed you. Can I encourage you with something today? God the Father both knows you and chose you. Now, it's a great thing to be chosen. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about what it was like as a child to be on the playground when teams are being picked and you're not the captain, somebody else is, and you're just sitting there with your knees knocking, or at least I was saying, choose me, choose me. It's a great thing to be chosen, but it's really something when somebody knows you and they choose you. I'm, I'm moving toward 25 years of marriage. This year will be our 24th year of marriage. And I'm overwhelmed by the reality that the beautiful woman that sleeps in my bed next to me loves me 
even though she knows me. And we have a God who knows, the Bible says, everything about us, and yet he chose us. Make no mistake, though we don't fully understand all this means, the Bible says it's not that you chose God. He chose you, and then you responded to that yearning that you had in your life. So God the Father chose you, and then the Spirit began to sanctify you. The the Spirit began to mold you into the image of God. The Spirit resides within you. That's when we pray. We don't have to pray for God's Spirit to come to church with us. I know He's here, because I brought Him with me. And I assume some of you who are followers of Christ, you brought Him with you too. But we ask him to manifest his presence. His spirit is with us at all times and is in that process of of molding us and shaping us into his image. But how do we get there? We get there because of the work of God's son, Jesus Christ. Through his shed blood, he redeems us. He purchases us. He pays for our sinfulness. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see the fullness of God as expressed in the Trinity. I mentioned, I've now read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus just in the last few days into numbers. And you know what I'm discovering? I'm discovering that that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can look in Genesis 1 and see the work of God the Father, see the activity of God the Son, and see the presence of God the Spirit. One more thing as we think about the author, Peter. If there's one lesson we learn from his life, hey, let me just encourage you with this before we dive in. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how bad you've dropped the ball, look at the life of Peter and the grace of God and remember this, failure is not final. There's always hope. We remember Peter who, who was so confident in himself. By the time he's writing these words, he's learned where his confident lies. But early in life, he was confident in himself. You can follow Jesus and still have misplaced confidence. Did anybody hear that? You can follow Jesus and still place more confidence in yourself than you do in him. I'm guilty of that. We call that pride. And Peter knew what that was like, just like I do. Peter had been told by Jesus that you'll, you'll let me down. You'll deny me. And Peter said, and maybe these guys, but not, not this guy, not the rock. I got your back, Jesus. And Jesus just shook his head. And you know the rest of the story. Three times Peter denied him. He couldn't even stand up to a little girl who said he was with Jesus. And yet God restored Peter. That's interesting. Again, as I read through the Bible, from the beginning of the book, I see that my God is a God of restoration. You look at the fathers of our faith, the earliest characters in scriptures, man, some of them had some dirty moments in life. They did some wacky stuff. My wife and I are reading through scripture this week. We just keep looking at each other. And finally, I said to her last night, just wait till you get Leviticus. Finally, God outlaws some of the stuff that's been going on. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the watch tab at missionhillchurch.com thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the give button at missionhillchurch.com and now with more of today's message here's pastor paul purvis but god restores his people he's providing covering he's making a way 
I, I tell you that because Peter knew what it was like to need more grace and more peace. Because when you've blown it, what do you need? You need grace. Is there anybody here today that just needs God's grace right now? Oh, yeah, you do. But you know what else you need when you've blown it? You need God's peace. You see, because when you've sinned, when you've stepped away from God, you're not at peace with God. And so, wow, the beginning of this book, Peter says, so I pray that you'll have more grace and more peace. So that's what I want to do right now. Before we go any further, I just want to press the pause button. And I want to pray with you that in these next five weeks, God would work in a mighty way and that he would grant you and that he would grant me more grace and more peace. Let's pray. So, Father, uh, we come in the name of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit and we thank you for how your word is already speaking and working, living in us today. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters who've gathered here who know you, Lord, but maybe they've fallen away, maybe they've dropped the ball, they've sinned, they've missed your mark. God, I I pray that even this morning you would begin to pour out more grace and dish out more peace where it's needed. Lord, for that person that's here, God, I'm confident somebody's in this room today who doesn't know you. May this be the day of their salvation. May, May they hear of the hope that changes everything even in these next few minutes. But but Lord, regardless of of where we are, help us to walk away different. Help us to walk away changed because we've encountered you on this day. So Lord, as, as I continue to speak, may my words be your words. May my thoughts be your thoughts because it is you, Jesus, who redeemed me. It's you who saved me. You are God and we worship you even as we pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to continue reading with me in verse 3. So in light of this, Peter says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy, say mercy, that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So now we live with, hear these words, great expectation. I want you to say this sentence. I want you to say, I want to live with great expectation. Let's say that. I want to live with great expectation. Let's say it again because the first time it's kind of, we're just learning it. Let's say it again. I want to live with great expectation. Verse four. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So so really what we're asking is, do you live with great expectation? I, I, I really believe that the focus in our society on a false, faulty, prosperity gospel that, that says if you just do certain things, you can have whatever you want. I, I believe that has caused sincere Christ followers to stop living with great expectation. 
Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 makes it clear. Our God, listen to what it says, is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to what? The power that is with that is at work within who? Don't miss that. Who's us? Raise your hand if you're part of the us. If you're a Christ follower, you're part of the us. God's word, inspired, holy, perfect, and true, just said the power of God is in you, able to work in ways that are exceedingly abundantly beyond you've ever, what you've ever begun to think about, dream about, or imagine. And, and I just want to tell you, that's not the picture of the church in our world today. We, we don't look like those who are living the expectant life. If God's word is true, there's a power at work in us that is able to do far more. Say far more. Where in your life are you trusting God to do far more? Where do you need to trust God to do far more? What are your great expectations? Is it in your education? Are you committed to growing and being your best for God? Colossians says everything we do, our work even should be heartily unto the Lord. Are you expecting God to bless you in your educational pursuits? What about those of you that have moved to that next step? You're in your work life, your career. Are you trusting God to do far more in your work life than you ever thought? Or have you settled? In reading through Genesis, I I came about where Abram's father was leading them to Canaan. He was on his way to Canaan. Now, what is another name for Canaan? I'll give you a hint. It's two words. The first one starts with a P. It's the promised land. They were on their way to the promised land even before they knew it was the promised land. But in the translation I was reading, you know what it says? But he settled before he got there. Now, it's a little bit of a play on words because it's it's saying that he just stopped and and he settled his family. But we also use that word to mean we settle when we don't need to settle. Some of you in your work life, you settled where you are today when God, as his children, wants you to be your best for his glory. Are you trusting him with great expectations? How about your marriage? Some of you have given up on a marriage that is less than desirable. Maybe one or the other or both of you have sinned. You've, you've fallen short of God's expectations in your marriage. But as a result, you've settled. You've given up on what it could be. Are you praying for a marriage miracle? What about your finances? How, how can we believe as individuals or as a church? How could we possibly believe that God's word is true, that he owns it all, that we're simply stewards and ever be in a situation where we think, God, you're not going to meet my needs. Are you expecting God to, to do great things in your financial life? See, what Peter was saying is that the Christ follower lives differently. The Christ follower should be by nature an eternal optimist who lives with hope even in the midst of hurtful times. Is that what you're known for? I I would suggest to you, (laughs) this is, try me, test me on this. 
If just those of us who've gathered here today made a commitment for the next five weeks, we're going to live with hope so that the people around us see we're the most optimistic people they know. If just those, uh, those of us in this room live this way for the next five weeks and on that fifth week we begin to invite the people in our corner of the world to worship with us on Easter Sunday, this room couldn't hold all the people because they would be saying, I want the hope that you've got. We don't look like that hope. We don't live with that optimism. The last phrase of that statement is important. Look at it. Because the truth is that we sometimes have hurtful times. And those hurtful times are often what cause us to lose hope and lose our great expectations. We're coming up on the anniversary of of Kimberly's battle with cancer just a few years ago. And I'll, I'll never, never forget the, just, just the shock and the numb feeling we had after she was given this news by a doctor. We had all our family with us and, and we literally, uh, we didn't tell the boys right then, but we literally left the parking lot of the doctor's office and, and, and went to dinner in a restaurant and, and I'm looking back and I, I just think about how surreal that was. And, and you've been through something like that in your life. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it's when a marriage ended. Maybe it's when you lost your job. Or, or maybe it's a difficulty like this. And, and you face that. And then you get to a crossroads. You, you've got to decide. Am I going to press forward with hope? Or am I going to lose hope? Am I, am I going to go forward in faith or am I going to give up because the going got tough? So Peter goes on to describe how we keep that focus, how we have hope. Look at verse, uh, as he continues in, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He gives us what we don't even deserve and he doesn't give us what we do deserve. So in verse 6, he picks it up. Be truly glad. What? In the midst of trials? Be glad? Now Peter's gotten drunk. I mean, really? This is similar to what we find in James, where James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Joy. Gladness and joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness comes from our happenings, right? And in life, there are some things that happen to us that stink. So back to that story, it would have been kind of odd to leave that parking lot and go to that restaurant and have a party and celebrate as if we're happy after we had received that news. But we could go forward in joy. But we, we could go forward and say, God, we're, we're going to trust you in this. So he says, be truly glad. This, there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Did Peter know what he was talking about? Peter's writing this in 63 AD. 
Nero is the leader of Rome. Do you know what will happen in 64 AD? He'll begin to destroy the modern world as a dictator. Nero was so vile that it was known that he would throw garden parties at night. And to light the party, he would dip Christians in tar and light them on fire. So when Peter's writing to a group of people about trials, he's not suggesting, hey, you had to park at the farthest parking place from Publix. That's not a trial. And by the way, if, if you just want to give me a moment on this day to talk about my pet peeves, stop thanking God for giving you that close parking place. He might have wanted you to walk a little bit and get some exercise. All right. Peter knew about testing times. The key to surviving life's testing times is remembering this simple truth. Nothing you experience ever catches God off guard. You do understand that, right? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.